welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening. And also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you want to contribute to this podcast and help support uh, everything imaginable, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Jim Willis, and he has written countless books, more than I can count, on topics from UFOs to God to the Akashic Records, and now his new actual, his new fiction trilogy. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Gary. It's good to be with you. Good as always. As always. So, so um, let's talk about the, the new uh, trilogy that you have written. Um, what is it called, and what inspired you to write it? Well, uh, let me give you the academic title. <laughs> this is going to scare people away. But um, I was putting a lot of thought into uh, social media nowadays. Um, I'm having a, to be out well, as a lot of your listeners know who heard us talk before, I live out in the woods and uh, came out here to kind of get away from things. And I'm just amazed at how social media has changed the fabric of our culture since uh, I moved out here only 12, mm -hmm. 13 years ago. Um, and uh, I, I, I was wondering, as I was looking at... Um, somebody's dinner that they made they had to take a picture of it and put it up on facebook and and then uh, other people who kind of plead for shares you know they show you the the poor sad puppy and say i bet i don't get one share and everything else and every morning they found them i'm, I'm sure they find themselves looking to see how many uh, how many how many looks they've had how many shares they've had how many everything else and then I found myself doing it uh, since I started uh, publishing and things like this and putting up my own YouTube channel now. Um, I find myself getting up in the morning, going over to the computer, looking at the computer screen, seeing, oh, has, has anybody looked at the latest YouTube video from mm -hmm. last night? And I couldn't help but see the similarities between looking at a computer screen to check and see how many followers you have and the queen from Snow White looking into the mirror and saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? She had to check her status. And mm -hmm. uh, to me, that computer screen became, in effect, a, um, a magic mirror. And I began to see the rise of, of ego. And, uh, of course, lately in this divided political climate of the United States right now, uh, we just see... Uh, ego to the fore and, and narcissists and uh, and even psychopaths seeing the difference between narcissism and psychopath is really one of empathy more than anything else right so I was just erased uh, I, I mean amazed at this this rise of ego and what it's doing to us 
um, we all have to be number one. We all have to uh, um, get our share of the spotlight. And so I decided to write a, a very academic book. And the name of the book was going to be Individuality and Primal Unity, Ego's Struggle for Dominance in Today's World. And having come up with that title, which I thought was just great, it was going to describe exactly what I was going to say, mm -hmm. it immediately occurred to me with a title like that, absolutely nobody's going to read it. <laughs> it's going to scare everybody away. So I, I began to look for a hook uh, through which I could look at ego and what we can do, kind of a self-help book, kind mm -hmm. of almost thing, of what we can do to... Uh, to, to combat it in our own lives and to resist this tremendous pull of ego and social media that's just dominating us and totally dominated our, our, our children. And so, of course, you know, writing so much and studying so much about ancient history, I realized that this can't be anything new. The old-timers had to do that. And I went right back to the Plato myth of Atlantis, mm -hmm. the story of Atlantis, where the people of Atlantis outreached themselves. Uh, they too felt the, the, the ego, according to Plato, and uh, they were destroyed by it. Uh, and they gave it religious uh, implications. They believed the gods punished them for hubris. And of course, as soon as you put it like that, you have to go into the Old Testament and read that story of the Tower of Babel about how they wanted to build a tower to reach to the right. skies. and. Uh, and as a result, God confused their languages. Nobody could understand each other anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had this vision that people were just talking at each other, which is just what we're doing today. We have, no, nobody seems to understand each other. We just talk at each other and yell at each other on the, on the TV and then the social media. So I decided to look into the past for wisdom and see what was there. And I came up with three um, old legends or fairy tales. Uh, the first is what I call ego and earth magic, and it's the story of uh, Merlin the Magician. I call this uh, Volume 1, Ego and Earth Magic. And um, Merlin the Magician is living in a time of, of change uh, where the, the old gods, the gods of the natural world, are being thrown out. And the new gods, the new gods symbolized by Camelot and the rise of Arthur, are coming to the fore, where Christianity mm -hmm. is uh, stamping out paganism. And uh, even in, in the cosmos, the old, uh, the old dragon star was being pushed out by uh, the, you know, the, uh, the new north star. And uh, it was just a, a, a very yeasty time. And so during studying the story of Merlin the Magician, I call it a mystery for the ages, and it's about uh, one way to combat this rise of ego uh, is to turn to the natural world, to get back to our roots, remember who we are. And of course, since that's exactly what I did when I retired and came out here to live in the woods, it was very familiar to me. Um, but then I began to look at other ways, because not everybody can move out to the woods, so right. how else can you combat ego? So in Volume 2, uh, I call it Ego and the Hero, and that's the story of Robin Hood. Uh, and I call it Victory Through Defiance. Um, you know, Robin Hood lost his, his, uh, his hold, he lost his lands, he lost his wealth, and he was forced to go live in Sherwood Forest. But how he did it was, uh, uh, I think, a great lesson for us. He never gave into it. He, 
he fought it. Uh, he understood it, but he never sat in the corner and said, oh, woe was me and all this kind of stuff. With a smile on his face, he did what he had to do. And what he had to do. And um, he defied the whole new culture coming in uh, and did it with uh, a great uh, joie de vivre and, and uh, you know, joy and all the rest. And it occurred to me that all of the the uh, followers that gathered around him, Little John and Maid Mary mm -hmm. and Much the Miller's son and all of them, they were all types or symbols of uh, different ways, different people in different walks of life. Uh, fought against this new culture, which was uh, demonizing them and, and dehumanizing them and pushing them out. So that's volume two, Ego and the Hero. Volume three uh, was, <laughs> believe it or not, the first one I wrote. I, mm -hmm. I wrote these backwards. I wrote first uh, Little Snow White, and then I wrote Matt Merlin, and then I wrote Robin Hood, and they were out of order, but I figured, hey, if George Lucas can do it with Star Wars, so can I, you know, <laughs> uh, bring out music. So the, the volume three is called Ego and Innocence, and it's the story of Little Snow White, which is really a roadmap for our time, step by step. Um, how do we fight this narcissistic society? Snow White gives us the perfect example. And um, that's the example of uh, the evil queen who looks in her mirror and mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And uh, which, which is, brings me right back to the question I saw when I looked at my computer. We're looking into our own magic mirror. It's called the computer screen. And we're getting all of our um, uh, acceptance and all of our importance as individuals. We're getting it from the culture around us rather than finding it within. And uh, Snow White tells us how to do that. So those three books, uh, Ego and Earth Magic, Merlin the Magician, Ego and the Hero, Robin Hood, and Ego and Innocence, Little Snow White, make up this whole uh, trilogy, this study of ego in, in our own society. Uh, two of them are out, and they're up on Amazon now. Uh, Merlin the Magician and Little Snow White are already available uh, in both Kindle and in uh, 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 paperback. As a matter of fact, they're uh, published by... Uh, Ken Gautzwart, who I understand you, uh, you, you've talked to him in the past, or are going to be talking to him or something, or mm. does that name ring a bell? Dimension Fold public publications? I don't know. I mean, I might. I think <laughs> <laughs> so many. <laughs> well, well, he, he has his own publishing company, and uh, we got together and started talking about every, everything from his latest book, UFOs in the Bible, and uh, everything else, and we got discovering how much common stuff we had and lo and behold I discovered that um, he's, he publishes books and he was mm -hmm. willing to take on this uh, this trilogy so uh, it worked out real well uh, Robin Hood the last one in the trilogy should be coming up oh I suspect in February probably but uh, that's what the trilogy is all about it's a, a look at ego and how to live in a world that is consumed by people who are just thinking of themselves whether they're um, oh, politicians or preachers or teachers or uh, economic, uh, economists or people on television with talking heads and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. How do you live in that world? How do you fight it within yourself? Because I'm convinced that the more we let ego grow in our own lives and consume us, the less of a spiritual life we can have. And being interested in spirituality, uh, I'm really interested in finding what's what's keeping us into more and more a superficial society 
and less and less a deep uh, society rooted in spiritual growth. So that's where the trilogy came from. Interesting. You know, one of the things you know I, I find myself asking is a certain question all the time. It's, it does pertain to myself a lot. You know, where is the line between narcissistic ego and um, basic survival and self-care? Like, where is that line drawn? Because it seems to be so blurry, at least for me. I can't seem to always navigate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the psychologists I've discovered have a... Uh, Oh, they kind of have a, they, a, a graph that they look at. Um, ego isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. Mm -hmm. uh, when it changes to narcissism, well, it begins to get a little out of hand. Narcissism is the ability to always think that the world revolves around you, around me. And uh, it's that individual sense of uh, thinking that we are the most important uh, people. Narcissists have most of them don't realize they're narcissists, but they have all kinds of way to lay guilt trips on us. You know, um, saying, I'm only doing this because I love you, <laughs> they mm -hmm. might say. What they're really saying is, I want to make sure that I'm above you. Or narcissists are very uh, into friendship. I mean, look at all the good things I've done for you, and that's how I get repaid, that kind of thing. But narcissists at least have a basic empathy. They, they can be aware of uh, hurting other people. Psychopaths can't. They don't have that sense of empathy. They really believe that they are the most important thing and the world does revolve around them. That's why psychopaths can often pass lie detectors tests. Um, so there is a, a thing about having a healthy ego. It's a matter of how much we let it control us. Do we let it grow into any kind of narcissism? Do we let it go farther into, into psychopaths or if we have friends or even people in the family who uh, are narcissistic or who use those little subtle techniques you know where they'll say something hurtful and then say just kidding just kidding you know well they're not kidding um, uh, and how do we keep those people from controlling our lives because so many of us have we may have a wonderful day where everything goes great and somebody sends us a text that'll just absolutely knock us right down for the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, why do we allow that? And what can we do about that? Well, that's what this trilogy is really about. Um, I don't think we can escape ego in the sense that ego is one of the reasons we came here. Uh, I really believe, you and I have talked about this before in the past, I know, but I really believe that we come here for a purpose. Uh, we journey out from the source out here to this materialistic realm. And I really do believe that um, out here we can learn things that we can't learn in the source. In the source, everything is perfect unity. Uh, everything is uh, togetherness. Everything is oneness. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, when you're out there, when you're surrounded as, as part of the one, part of the whole and perfect unity, you can't experience individuality. And I think each one of us is out here living this life because we made a, a, a very courageous decision to come out here and experience it. What is it like to be an individual? Uh, I'm here and you're there. We're separate from each other. Unity is, is broken. 
And we come out here to experience that. The Garden of Eden story in the Bible tells it so beautifully. Adam and Eve and God were one in the garden and God walked in the garden and they were one with each other and one with nature and one with God. And then came that individuality. I want to do something on my own. I want to eat the apple. It was the temptation to follow the serpent who said, God knows that, you know, once you become that, you will you know, eat, eat that tree of that tree, the fruit of that tree. You will become as gods, knowing good from evil. Well, knowing good from evil is duality, good and evil, up, down, mm -hmm. hot, cold, and all the rest. And that's what we came out here, I think, to experience, to live into this world of uh, duality. But out here in this world, in this dualistic world in which we live, uh, we become individuals. And another definition of individuals is ego, of course. Uh, ego means I'm here and you're there. And so our ego becomes to take over us, so to speak. If we let it, if we're not in control of it, I think ego can grow to fantastic proportions. And when it does that, um, the Bible talks about people being demon-possessed. Well, in effect, we can be demon-possessed. We can be demon-possessed by our own ego, but it is a demon of our own making. And one of the things we have to learn is how to have a healthy ego uh, and how to be an individual uh, and understand what's good for me without saying what's good for me has to be bad for you or taking advantage of you or um, I grow at your expense. When that begins to happen, then I think ego gets out of control and we do become demon-possessed, so to speak. If you ever want to try this out for yourself and anybody doubts what I'm saying, I just urge you to do one thing, any of your listeners. Uh, get yourself alone in a room no music, no nothing. Turn off all of your devices. Close the door. Sit in a chair and try to empty your mind of individualistic thoughts for a couple of minutes. Try to meditate. Try to enter into that one-point focus. And I guarantee you will hear a voice clamoring in your head. <laughs> and it will just be talking, reminding you of all the things you've ever done that or the things that you're supposed to be doing right now and you're not doing them and all the things you've said and all the things that people said to you and it'll just keep harping and harping and harping. And if you begin to really study it, as, as I have since I moved out here to the woods and began to really look at this whole situation, uh, I've determined that uh, ego is, is a, a really uh, wonderful but dangerous thing. It is not really us. We are one with the source. Right. But we have taken on this ego and uh, it either controls us or we control it. And it's a very, very difficult process to do that. Um, ego knows that when we die, uh, ego is dead too. Ego is gone. I mean, ego can't exist except in an individual. So when the individual body dies and we return to the source, Ego knows its time is short. And so, in a sense, uh, that's probably one of the reasons why we try to hang on to life so much. Uh, even when we're terribly sick or terribly injured, uh, we, we've created this culture that has to keep everybody alive. It's somehow a, a sin or a bad thing to die, you know. Mm. And uh, that's, that's pure ego talking because ego knows that when the body dies, ego dies. We return to the source. 
And so it is It is a battle. And like any other spiritual battle, it has to be fought within each one of us. And uh, it's a difficult fight. Uh, it really is a difficult fight. You, you're not going to beat it in 15, 20 minutes with meditating. <laughs> it's going to take a long, long time. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it can be completely beat. You know, for me, like what meditation has done is it's made me aware. It's made sure. me be able to recognize it. Yeah. And um, sort of learn how to be um, neutral to it, like not respond to it. Like don't let yeah. it, don't get hooked into to it as much as I normally would. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which tends to make, make makes me like real neutral. Some people will take it as apathetic. Yeah. You know, but, but really mm -hmm. it's just like, um, you know, I don't want to create, I don't want to create drama. I don't want to create drama for myself. I don't want to create drama for other people. Yeah. Because it doesn't yeah. make sense. Except to the ego, yeah. of course. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and you you ask, where do you draw the line? It it's hard. Um my uh my field for most most of my life, one of the fields that I've been in is been involved in music. Um when you're a musician you want to create music. You want to create joy. You want to create thought. You want to create something very special. So you practice and you practice and you practice. And then you stand up in front of a group and you want to perform this music and your object, of course, is just to get out of the way and let the music flow. And once in a while when it's really good, that happens. And then what happens? You're finished. And people start applauding. <laughs> and you start to say, oh... Aren't I great? Look what I did. But what's the answer? To perform badly or not to perform music at all? That's, exactly. that's no good. You can't do that. Um, just like you know, you and your and on, on your podcast and, mm -hmm. and me and my my video my my YouTube page, we have information we want to share. We're not doing it just to puff ourselves up. But when people respond, what happens? Well, of course we get puffed up. So yeah, yeah. I, I think you have the absolute right thing when you say just try to be neutral to it. You can't get rid of it. All you can do is learn to live with it because it's part of what life is here in this world. Mm -hmm. duality. And, and also, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for me, like, like sometimes I'll joke or not even joke. Like I'll, I'll, I'll make this claim that like, I'm like the greatest podcaster in the world. <laughs> you know, and well, um, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it is that like like that's an ego based statement, and one of the things about that though is nobody's going to take me seriously if I sit here and say I'm the worst podcaster in the world. No, no, that's right. No, <laughs> so it's you, such a weird. <laughs> You have to believe. You have to believe in yourself. You really do. Um, I, I've had this, you know, come to light recently. Uh, well, even since even before we talked last time, which I guess was what last summer. Yeah. Um, I, I've been having this 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 terrible battle. Um, I I discovered that the more I get involved in the world, and with me, although I'm not out in the world, I'm out here in the woods, but. My books are out in the world, and I'm talking to people. I'm, I'm doing, you know, interviews, and I'm writing, and I'm trying to, you know, do all these technical YouTube things and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm involved with the world. And I found myself, I find myself that coming into the situation that the more involved with the world I am, 
the less in tune with spirit I am. And so I begin to think that I've done something bad, that uh, somehow, um, I don't want to say God is judging me, or God is saying, oh, Jim, you're doing something bad because you're not in touch with spirit. But I've only come recently to discover that that's not the case at all. Um, in shamanism, which is probably the world's oldest religion, the, the technique, the purpose of the shaman was to have an out-of-body experience, to travel to other worlds and learn information there, um, and then come back and share that information with the tribe. Now, when he's out in the other world, if he's thinking too much about his tribe, he can't be in touch. He's going to be snapped right back into his body. But once he has that information, he can't stay out there because that in itself becomes an ego trip. You just can't do it for self-gratification. Mm -hmm. The purpose of going there was to gain information and then bring it back to the tribe. But when he comes back to the tribe, he's not out there anymore. And so uh, when I came up here to the woods, I spent uh, oh, quite, quite a few years uh, being totally cut off from the world, really. I would spend hours in meditation and dowsing and, and, and stuff like that. But when I picked up all of this wonderful stuff that was enriching my life, I naturally wanted to share it with others. So I started writing books. Well, in effect, that was the shaman's journey. I, I went out and I experienced it and I learned and then I came back and had to share. Mm -hmm. When you're sharing, you can't be out there. When you're out there, you can't be sharing. And so it's a difficult, a difficult thing. I mean, it'd be terrible for you to, as a podcaster to say, I'm not going to do a good podcast because I don't want to give in to ego. you got to do the best you can. And when you do the best you can, you got to be proud of it. Of course you do. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual battle, isn't it? It is. It is. And one of the things you mentioned, like about the shaman thing, I mean, I was having this conversation with Jared last night. Um, when you leave your, like, I know when I've had the experience where I've left my body during a seizure, you know, I talk about it all the time. Yep. And I did not want to come back. Like no. once you're out there, it's yeah. like you look yeah. back and you're like, uh, uh I'm not going yeah. back there. Yeah, yeah. Like, why would yeah. I want to go back? Yeah, but, exactly. but but yet you have shamans and spiritual people that do move back and forth to bring that information in to try to help the growth of humanity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've had innumerable conversations with people who have had near-death experiences. Uh, I've been with them in the hospital sometimes when I was in active ministry, uh, holding their hands and maybe even praying with them when they died. And um, the thing flatlines and the nurses show up and the doctors kick you out of the room and they, they bring in the paddles or they do this or they do that and all of a sudden the person comes back. And as soon as they let me back in, usually takes a day or two, but as soon as I can get back in, my first question is, what was it like? Mm -hmm. I have yet to find one person who said, I, I really wanted to come back. Nobody wanted to come back. <laughs> and I didn't understand that until, uh, oh, a decade or so ago, when I first started having out-of-body experiences on a regular basis. I never want to come back either. There is something in you that says you have to, and you know you do. Uh, when you talk about seizures, that's where I first started having them, my own epileptic seizures mm -hmm. myself. And uh, no, I didn't, I didn't want to come back. Um, on the other hand, it, <laughs> you know you have to come back because you still have work to do. But on the other hand, it does take away a lot of the fear 
doesn't it? You don't fear it because you know how wonderful it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm not afraid of death. You know, no. I, and sometimes like I remember like the reason I came back is because I, I I heard my wife yelling at me to come back. Yeah, I, I mean she's my ex-wife now, but but I I just didn't want her to be mad at me, so I came back. Yeah. But yeah. I think otherwise I would have just stayed in a coma for <laughs> the next fifty years. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's you know we we make such a big deal about death in Western society nowadays. Uh, <laughs> I'm I was called into a hospital room one time. I, a guy who had just been in a terrible accident, and uh, in a car accident, and he wanted to see me. So the nurse called me, and I came over to the hospital. And here he was. He had oxygen tubes, and he had intravenous, and he had this big brace on his back, and he had his leg, one leg up. It was broken. It was all wrapped up and everything else. And he had tubes coming and wires coming all over the place. And he said, well... I guess God just wasn't ready for me yet. <laughs> All I could say was, what? <laughs> if, ever, if ever there was a person whose life was you know, meant to be over, um, here it was, right in front of me. And yet, in this society, we think it's much, much more important to bring this person back, save him at all costs, anything else is a, a break of the Hippocratic Oath and all that kind of stuff. Well, I have my own feeling about that now i think sometimes the hippocratic oath when it says first of all do no harm that means let people go when their time mm -hmm. is here otherwise we're, we're just torturing them uh where we now have the technology to keep people alive long after the natural processes would have said it's over and if you believe that where we go is a wonderful place and if you believe where you where we go is a return to the source are we really doing them good when right. we bring them when we bring them back under these abnormal situations? You know, it it's a it's a, it's a constant struggle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, I've had to make that decision for three people, where I've had to like you know basically pull the plug. Two of them were my parents, and one was my uncle. Yeah, and and I think maybe afterwards I probably questioned my, you know, I felt maybe like some regret or something, but after. After having my own experience, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> they're yeah, way yeah. better off than I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> and even even in, in Christianity, everybody talks about how wonderful heaven is. Can't wait to go to heaven. I'll see you. Be, man, do we fight to stay out of it, huh? Uh, my, my father uh, was a deeply committed uh, Christian churchman, um, 98 years old. And he'd had a wonderful life, uh, just, you know, a really blessed life. And his one big fear was he didn't want to die in a care facility someplace. Didn't want to die in a rest home. Yeah, that's my dad, too. And, and at 98 years old, his heart was giving him troubles. And the doctor said, well, we got, you can go two ways. Uh, I can keep you comfortable here at home, and you'll have oxygen, and people can come and see you, all this kind of stuff. Or we can take you all the way across the state. My dad lived in Sarasota. We can take you all the way across to Miami where they're doing this, this new procedure. And we can do open heart surgery on you. And my dad said, well, what choice do I have? I've got to take the surgery. So they moved him all the way across the state. They did the surgery. He was in the hospital for about six or eight weeks. Never got any better. At the very end, they brought him home in an ambulance. Thousands upon thousands of 
upon thousands of dollars were spent, and he wound up dying in a rest home. He so feared death in a certain way that because he so feared it, he died exactly the death that he didn't want to die. Mm. And um, I just, you know, I, I just find that almost impossible. I, I, to this day, I, I will honor his decision because it was his decision to make. But, um, boy, I, I, I will never understand it. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough. Like my dad too. He didn't want to die in a home, so he brought him home. But then he still really didn't want to die. Yeah. And then he, like, he, he was in and out of kind, like coma, basically for a while. Yeah, yeah. And and it reached a point like he had a pacemaker defibrillator, and one of the things I had to do is like we we I didn't have the ability to turn it off myself, so I had to sure. tape I had to tape magnets to his chest. To yeah. deactivate <laughs> wow. the yeah. device that was in there, you know, so he could pass away. Yeah, yeah, and and that makes uh, for interesting decisions in this kind of a culture. I've left it. Uh, I have, you know, left it in, in 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 writing that I don't want those things done. I want to die here on this piece of property where I feel this great spiritual affinity. Mm-hmm. But now, if something happens to me, and it's just a matter of waiting for death, and my wife doesn't call an ambulance, is she going to be held responsible for my death? Uh, is she going to be blamed for my death? Is she going to be legally blamed for my death? I, we don't know. It's hard. You, know, you just don't know how to do this. Um, and, and it's, and it's a, a very difficult situation. It really is. And that, again, is something I cover in the book Snow White, because Snow White is, for all practical purposes, dead. Uh, she's laying in that glass coffin with the seven dwarfs about her. Mm. And the mysterious prince comes from outside. Uh, Disney really messes this one up uh, in the Disney version. <laughs> he awakens Snow White with a kiss. Um, that didn't happen in the real version. In the, in the original Grimm's fairy tale, she comes into contact with the basic pagan earth energy and that's what brings her back um, and uh, when that happens I just can't help but think what what we're doing is saying that we come from this earth this earth is really our home it's from where we come it's from where we return at least this body um, I we it's from where we get our strength and there in the very energetic magical you might want to call it essence of this earth is our strength well we've gotten away from that we don't want to die uh surrounded by trees and birds we we go to hospitals and, and we get sterile environments and we get people who we don't know coming and going and weird lights and sounds and everything else. that's where people die nowadays and i think it's a i think it's a real tragedy i really do it is, you know, even animals. Animals will automatically go to like their favorite place and lay down and die. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it's sometimes, perhaps we, in allowing them to do that, sometimes we probably treat our animals better than we treat our elders. Sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, what a what a tragedy! But it's the world we live in. Everything is turned upside down. Um, Everything is, uh, everything has changed. Being 75 years old, I've seen that change in my life more than anything else. My, my grandfather um, 
when he was my age, probably never traveled more than 50 miles away from the home where he was born. And he knew that country. He knew the people. He knew the land. Uh, you know, being a partial farmer and everything else, he was he was in tune with it and everything else. And so I can remember that. I can remember my grandfather getting his first television set. And I walked in and uh, I said, Grandpa, you got a TV? And he said, yeah, yeah, I got a TV because I knew, I knew you folks would come over to visit and you'd want to see it, but I don't know about it. And I said, well, why not? What's wrong with it? And he said, well, you take that TV right there, pretty soon it's going to dominate our lives. And I thought, oh, what does he know? <laughs> well, he knew a lot more than I did. <laughs> he really did. And he said, someday, you know, I'm looking into that TV and I'm seeing them. Sometime they're going to be able to look through that TV and see me. I can't help but hear his voice as I'm sitting here looking at my equivalent of the TV, my computer, and I'm seeing you and mm -hmm. you're seeing me as we talk. And I'm saying he knew exactly what he was saying. He was a very wise man. And I wish I had listened to him more. Hmm. But you can't swim upstream against the current very hard. And, and we have a pretty powerful current sweeping us all downtown, down, down right now. Hmm. What do you think caused, do you think it was technology that has caused all the trouble that we're in currently? Or do you think it was the ego, um, a combination of all yeah. these different things? I, uh, once in a while I rail against technology, but I can't possibly uh, say it's technology's fault. I don't think technology is either good or bad. I've come mm -hmm. to believe it's really what we do with it because we can do some wonderful things. Having a conversation with you, uh, without this technology, you and I never would be having this conversation. Right. And that's a good thing. Uh, in my last book, um, uh, The Wizard in the Wood, the book of fiction that I wrote, um, I wanted to get some music when I did the audio book. And uh, I discovered this musician who lives in India. His name is Ajit Padmanabh. Um, wonderful musician and I contacted him and his music just fit the background for the audiobook really well so now I have this new musician friend who I'll probably never see in the flesh mm -hmm. but um, he and I are in constant touch through technology uh, and I have now uh, done uh, zoom conferences in uh, in England and in Europe and uh, because of my friend in India sharing my stuff I got all these new friends who I can visit because of technology in, in, in India and in Sri Lanka, uh, uh, in Australia, in, in, in Europe. I just can't blame technology. I think it's like anything else. It's what we do with it. Right. And I think at the root of it is that ego. Uh, we reach farther than we can. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do it. And that's that's the big problem. Hmm. So, what do you think the cure is? Of, of what? Do you think there's a cure? Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, I think it's it's beyond our ability to to uh, to to do it. I hate to say this because it sounds terribly you know dire and discouraging, but I sometimes just don't have hope for the cure. But I think the cure has got to be a change in the human heart, to put it in metaphorical terms. Um, we have to decide we want to be better. We know how to be. 
we just don't do it. Um, a lot of us do. A lot of us want to. You and I do, and probably everybody listening to this podcast want to want to want to do it. If we could just change our minds and act like the kind of people we know how to be and should be and could be and must be, if we could just do that, can you imagine the world that would come tomorrow? It wouldn't take any expenditure of money. It wouldn't take any expenditure of, uh, of extra effort or anything like that. All it would take was a people, a group of people who look to themselves, look inside, and and uh, try to be better people. It was Confucianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Confucius and 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 Lao Tzu were contemporaries, uh, yeah. and they had this big this big thing going. Now, Confucius <laughs> was blown away when he saw Lao Tzu. He said, "Today." Uh, he said, I have seen the dragon and I know what it is. It was really... Lao Tzu uh, believed that the system needed to be torn down. He was the original hippie. Burn, baby, burn. You yeah. know, tear it down. Build a new one. Confucius was, no, that's not the answer. The answer is just to do it better. Be a better father, a better husband, a better son, a better community member. Uh, be a better leader. And uh, that's what we're talking about right now. I think I think Confucius had it right when he said, "Let's just be better." If we could do that, now is that the answer? I think yeah, makes perfect sense. Doesn't cost anything. We can do it today and have a better world tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Is it realistic? No, we both know it's not realistic. There's too much uh, power-hungry people. There are too many greedy people. And what is power and greed but the expression of ego? So I think ego lies at the heart of it all. That's why I called it individuality and primal unity. I think unity is what we're born into, uh, that primal unity of oneness. Ego's struggle for dominance in today's world is the subtitle of the trilogy. And uh, ego is really struggling for dominance. We Mm. have to... uh, we, We have to fight it. Uh, I believe in it, and I'll do it, and I'll encourage it to everybody. Do I think it's realistic? I lose confidence in that a lot. So then then maybe Lao Tzu's way would be more uh, effective? Just let let things fall apart? Just let it go and let it crumble on its own? I don't know if it's more effective... But I think that's more realistic. <laughs> realistic. That's yeah. a good way of putting it. Yeah, and the sad part is, I think it's happened before. Oh, sure, uh, it has. Yes, yeah, I can't think it's happened first. in Earth history. All the civilizations that I've looked at in the past, um, uh, we've seen this before. I think. I think other. Uh, I I don't think that when Plato wrote about Atlantis, he was completely writing a myth. I think he was basing it on something that was true. He gave too many facts. He gave too many correct dates. He gave uh, too many examples. Um, I think in the past, humanity has come to places where they reached higher than they could grasp. Mm-hmm. And, and then we have this unique ability to forget about it and to pretend that it didn't happen. A classic example of this uh, is technology uh, and, and the terrible decisions that have to be made was how we ended the first world or the second world war uh, when we dropped those atomic weapons on Japan uh, 
There was nobody even suggesting that it was a military target we were aiming for. Uh, we were aiming for innocent civilians, a lot of them. And the idea was to, to make it so horrible that when people saw it, they would have to give in because they said, there's no way, we'll all die, everybody will die. And so we became the only nation in the world to ever use uh, an atomic weapon. The uh, United States is the only one to claim that honor. Now, did it save a lot of lives? Yeah. Did it end the war? Yeah. Was it a horrible thing to kill all those innocent civilians? Yeah. Um, General uh, Sherman did the same thing when he marched through Georgia, you know, from Atlanta to the sea. He just, he was deliberately going out to just carve a 50-mile swath right across the state of Georgia and burning plantations and, uh, you know, not killing, but or not trying to kill, but at least uh, taking the war right to the civilian population. Now, are you going to tell me that every one of those Japanese who died that atomic weapon or who died under that atomic bomb or everyone in Georgia who was alive during the Civil War when Sherman was marching through, did every single one of them agree with the policies of their own government? I don't think so. I think a lot of them were innocent, but they were mm -hmm. caught in a situation which was just impossible. Uh, and that's what happens when ego runs amok. It puts us in a situation where there is no good answer. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that we shouldn't have dropped the atomic bomb or that Sherman shouldn't have marched through Georgia. Uh, I'm not suggesting that uh, because that's just much too complicated. All I'm saying is when ego runs amok, it becomes so complicated that sometimes there are just no good answers. And I think that's where we are right now. Hmm. So when you say, is it a good thing just to let it fall apart? I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's happening right now. Unnecessary, necessary evil, I guess. You yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, look what we've done to the environment. Look what we've done to the political situation here in the United States and in Europe. Mm -hmm. Look what we've done uh, health-wise with this um, uh, the pandemic that's sweeping through the world. Look at all of those things. And you just can't help but see that on many, many fronts, uh, human civilization stands at a crossroads. If this new uh, uh, information coming out of Antarctica is true, and if uh, in the next decade or so this great um, melting occurs and all of that water pours into the ocean, uh, now scientists are beginning to say the ocean levels could rise by a total of 10 feet in a very short time, in a very few number of years. 10 mm. feet would wipe out much of the Earth that we know. I would have would to wipe move. Out, yeah, uh, Florida would be gone, all the, the coastal cities would be gone. Look at what it would do to India. And uh, it would be, would it be done slowly enough so people could get out? Sure, but where are they going to go? To less landmass. It's going to be more crowded. Start all over again. Ego, ego, ego. And 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 why is it happening? It's happening because of our ego, because of our greed, because of our power. We want more. We don't know how to say enough. And that's a real tragedy, I think. Mm. Do you think? Because of that, um, well, actually, let's back up a little bit to, to the Atlantis. Because I was having a conversation last night with Jared about Atlantis and what may have happened to them. And yeah. one of the things that I was th considering that I've never really considered before was that 
they reached a point of spiritual and technological advancement where they no longer needed their bodies anymore and returned somehow to, to a state of, of non-body existence or just conscious existence. Huh. Um, but they, they had a plan possibly to return back to existence and that's what we were created for. Like, like we, were, we were the fail-safe, the, the return them. And oh. we somehow just screwed everything all up. Yeah. You know, there, there is a, uh, <laughs> there's a, a theory out there that closely parallels that, that starts with the, uh, the Fermi paradox, when uh, Enrico Fermi said, if the universe is full of people, where are they? How come we don't see them? And people tried to ask that. And one of the uh, uh, theories that was put forth was that this has happened before a humanoid species on a different planet or whatever, and many different planets probably, uh, really messed up because of, of ego. Mm -hmm. And we were cast out of that, and we were placed here on Earth, which makes Earth kind of like a, a, a penal colony, kind of like Australia mm -hmm. back in the old days where oh. England shipped all of their thieves. Uh, they put us here. And then uh, the reason we haven't seen them is because we're, we're being observed. Uh, can they can they get through this? So when we're talking about uh, conquering our ego, I think we're doing much more than just saying, oh, you know, let's make it into a, a philosophical or a psychological, even a spiritual thing. I, I think it's cosmic implications. Uh, if we don't conquer it, we could destroy life on this planet. And I can just see two other humanoid figures up there in space watching us saying, yeah, there they go again. They're doing it again. We, they're messing it up, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, there could be cosmic level proportions to this whole thing that we're just not aware of. Right. I think sometimes I wonder, too, if that's the reason why we stopped going into space for a long time. Yeah. You know, I think we would have been able to, we should, my opinion is we should have been able to start going to, start colonizing the moon and possibly Mars by now if we had continued but maybe we were not allowed to because well they didn't want well, us maybe. messing up the entire galaxy yeah maybe even for our own good that's right uh, we're put in solitary confinement yeah not just to punish us but for our own protection perhaps uh, I wouldn't be surprised to find that and with this new telescope that's that's gone up and unfolding out now, yeah. imagine being able to look back 13 and a half billion years into the past. What are we going to see? Um, and is this going to be the thing that said, okay, that's it. They've, they're building the Tower of Babel. They want to reach up to the top and say, oh, we do this, we'll be just like gods. And then what happens? Another catastrophe, be it an environmental catastrophe, a political cat catastrophe. Uh, an economic catastrophe, a technological catastrophe. Uh, it's it's something. I've been watching the movie, uh, the movies, the Matrix movies over and over mm -hmm. again. Boy, the more I watch them, the more they make perfect sense. <laughs> Very profound questions they raise. They really do. Hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder, too, you know, if, if there's a... Like one of the things, like I wonder, is it even possible though to have a cosmic catastrophe if the cosmos really is just a series of probabilities? Yeah, yeah. 
then that, that it really wouldn't be catastrophic. We would just be choosing a certain probability. Yeah, yeah. And and here's where you know this is not just a science fiction question, because here's where quantum physics, uh, you know, you, you might well in in a way we're kind of like uh, Schrodinger Schrodinger's cat. You know, we're here mm -hmm. in this box. We're both dead and alive, and the probability that we pick. Uh, the possibility that we pick might become a reality in a totally different spun-off um, uh, universe if, if you know, he, whoever it is right, and every decision, in effect, cuts off and makes both probability, both possibilities possible. Mm -hmm. uh, are we living in the one that is going to destroy itself, or are we going to live in the one that is going to keep going? Uh, Time will tell, and maybe we won't even be aware of it. Maybe in another parallel dimension, a parallel uh, uni uh, parallel world, we've already made the decision to put away our atomic bombs and put away all of our technology and uh, just exist as we are. I'm I'm fascinated by a culture uh, out of Japan, the Yoman people. Mm -hmm. um, they're a culture that. Uh, lived for thousands upon thousands of years and there doesn't seem to be any great change in their language any great change in their lifestyle um, and yet they were a great seafaring people their pottery is found in Peru uh, and their pottery is found in other places in South America and uh, uh, so they you know they, they lasted for thousands of years which is thousands of years more than we've lasted so far here in, in this country and I begin to wonder sometimes if, you know, how did it happen? And maybe it's a sim simple answer, which I don't think is too simplistic. Maybe they simply learned what enough meant. They had enough. We certainly haven't learned that. Uh, our whole economy, our whole world, our whole country, rather, is based on the idea of more. Uh, maybe we need to learn how to say enough. This is enough. Mm -hmm. and let it go there. Yeah, yeah. Temperance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this decision that we have to come to yeah, was part of uh, the decision that I had to build in. Uh, I decided I needed to work to build, a, to, to write a work of fiction because I think sometimes in fiction you can say more and say it better than you can with just obvious facts. So I wrote this book called uh, The Wizard in the Wood and it's a coming of age story about a young boy who... Uh, uh, travels out of his own familiar place, goes up into the woods and meets this guy who lives up in the woods somewhere, who turns out to be a mentor to him, who teaches him basically that life is magical uh, and it's got to stay magical and puts the kid's mind into a totally different way of li living. And then there comes a time in the book when the kid has to come back and uh, um, he's separated from the wizard in the wood and he gets into the life that we all live and more and more and his life goes downhill more and more and um, before he gets old enough to not be able to do it he, re he recaptures the messages that he's learned from the wizard and it's a, it's a kind of a tender book mm -hmm. uh, I'm, to be honest I'm very proud of it uh, especially the audio book we wrote it, my daughter Jana and I who is my co-producer and She's co-everything <laughs> JW2 Publications. He runs all the websites and does all the technical stuff for me. Uh, 
we we knew right away it was supposed to be one of those stories that should be told over a campfire, so we knew we had to have an audio book, which led me to learn more technology and her too. I had to learn how to do all the electronics and the mixing and mm -hmm. the engineering, and then she had to learn how to put it all into uh, uh, not only an audio book but also with pictures and videos and all the rest of the stuff for YouTube and all the rest. So uh, we both had to learn new technology in order to bring this book into effect, which basically says the world is magical, not technological. <laughs> but that was basically what, what brought it about, is this very discussion that, uh, that you and I are having right now. When is enough enough? And what is the essential nature of life? And can we act on it? We can discover it. Like, you know, you and I have discovered it uh, in out-of-body experiences and yeah. that kind of thing. But even discovering it, you would think it would make it easier for us just to live in that life all the time. But the culture keeps bringing us back down, doesn't it? It does, especially for me, that's for sure. Yeah. I get pulled yeah. into it yeah. all the time. And, yeah. you know, to realize that life is magical, I think all we have to do, anybody has to do, is look for it. I think all, if you have the intention to look for just a purpose, like some kind of purpose yeah. in life, you're going to come to some conclusion that that it is a, a magical, yeah, experience that that's completely unexplainable. You know, we've yes. treated all kinds yes. of different ways to try to explain it, but we, it can't be explained, at least not in human words and our terms. Yeah, yeah, and it, and as soon as we discover the magic. Ego raises its ugly head and starts saying, oh, it wasn't magic. It was just a coincidence. I can explain it this way or I can explain it that way. Well, you live long enough and you realize, yeah, we always want to find the common rationale stuff. But now the magic is there. And I think you put the key right on it when you said you got to look for it. Mm -hmm. and, and then when you find it, you got to accept it. And that's not easy either. No, because once you accept it, then other people start thinking you're bizarre. <laughs> well, that's true. Boy, that's a whole other story. Isn't it? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. We, we live, like as I said so many times now, we live out here in the woods, and yet, uh, you know, days go by, weeks go by when we don't see anybody else. We don't hear anybody else, except when I go to the store or something. So that's it. We live this life. This, and yet, every time I look at AARP magazine, it reminds me every month that this is a terrible way for senior citizens to live. Senior citizens are supposed to be connected. Uh, they're supposed to have a lot of support group. They're supposed to have a lot of friends. Um, we're living a life totally opposite to that and are perfectly happy doing it. As a matter of fact, I think um, you know sometimes the lack of community around us forces us to spend more time in meditating and more time in thinking and more time of quiet contemplation. And we don't have much of that nowadays. Uh, how many of us, you mean, go to a doctor's room, a doctor's office, where you're sitting in a waiting room, and what do you see? You see people just sitting there. Are they sitting there? Nope. Everybody's got an iPhone in their hand. Every, they're all looking. They've got to be connected. got to know what's going on everything else. You see people come up at restaurants. You go out to eat with somebody at a restaurant to break bread together. And you see two people who are sitting there staring at their iPhones and texting back and forth with other people and mm -hmm. everything else. Uh, I, I don't think it's 
it's a, a, a good way to live at all. And I, I especially worry about the younger generation because they're being brought up this way. You know, you and I are of the age when we can look back and, and remember quiet times, and remember going outside and playing and making things up and making up our own toys and making up our own adventures. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen nowadays. you got to have play dates with adults watching you everywhere you go and everything you do. And, um, everything, uh, you know, back when I used to play baseball, Man, we go out Saturday morning, and our baseball games might go twenty-seven innings. You know, <laughs> the score might be fifty-seven to thirty-two. You know, you don't have that nowadays. Uh, it, it's all organized sports and little leagues and everything else. And everything has to be organized. Everything has to be programmed. Everything has to be timed. And well, I remember finishing lunch when I was a kid and knowing, hearing my dad, my mom say, "Be back by dinner." And having an entire afternoon ahead of me with nothing that I had to do, uh, it was wonderful. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, it, it forced you to use your imagination. It forced you to think outside the box. And we would get together and make up games, do things together as kids, get on our bikes and ride way out into the countryside. Nobody knew where we were or what we were doing. It was, it was freedom, and I worry about that kids today don't have that and I worry about what their egos are saying because whenever you're in an organized thing an organized situation you're going to have some kids ego I want to be the I want to be the best I'm playing in an organized football team I want to be recognized for scoring the touchdown I want to be recognized for hitting the home run and we're training kids in ego at a very very early age I, I worry about that Really, really, yeah, yeah. I, I, I the structure thing bothers me, like, because I was, you know, like, like you, know, I grew up, you know, without a whole lot, like, I had a lot of freedom, I had a lot of freedom to yeah. do what I want, you know. Sure. Um, as, as long as I didn't, as long as the police didn't bring me home, yeah, <laughs> my parents really didn't question it, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. um, I, they couldn't call me on the phone to check on me, they couldn't track me by GPS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, I wonder, like, like it's almost like they're growing up is like um, in captivity now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, I know. Even even when it comes to schooling, uh, we had a great opportunity. Quite frankly, I think most people missed it during this pandemic when kids couldn't go to school and they had to stay home. Mm -hmm. Boy, there was a great opportunity. Parents can give kids experiences they could never have in school. But the parents were busy doing their own thing, too, and living their own lives, and they didn't want to be bothered in some ways. And in some cases, they couldn't be. They had to earn a living and all that. But I, I, I worry because now when I hear about kids having to go back to school because they, they need the social skills and they mm -hmm. need the social development, man, I don't know what kind of schools you're talking about. Well... I didn't learn a lot of social development at school except how to protect myself from bullies and how to be good at something so you can be number one, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I, I just don't know if that's natural or not. I, there are some things that are great when people get together, but there are some things that are just terrible. Witness a, a, a big crowd, for instance, who go to a concert uh, 
there's a wonderful thing about hearing music together with other people. It can transport you to other other states of psychology. And on the other hand, we all know how crowds can sometimes just at the flip of a hat turn evil, turn bad, and they can storm the gates and storm the stage and do all these kinds of things. Uh, crowd behavior is tough to you know, tough to predict. So all these things that we're doing, are they bad in themselves? I I don't think they're bad in themselves, but boy, we sure have to be careful with them. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely concerning about what the future is going to look like for the next generation, unfortunately. It'll be different, I guarantee. I won't be around to see it, but uh, my kids will. Certainly my grandkids will. Uh, and it's going to be a different future. There's no question about it. Yeah. I, I worry about it. Maybe I'm just being too pessimistic. Maybe there is hope out there. And I, and I don't want to negate the good stuff going on. I'm, I'm well aware because, um, you know, you and I do podcasts like this. and We have a lot of people contact us. I'm sure there'll be people who will write to my website, contact me after this podcast is over. They always do. And uh, they send me an email and I'll meet some wonderful people through that, uh, through that way. And so that's a good thing. I know there's a community out there, uh, but it's it sure is tough to to come to the point where we we believe it's it's sufficient to reach that critical mass. Uh, I'm perfectly aware of when I I don't have live television coming into the house anymore, but I do have YouTube that I can look up and. and stream channels and that kind of thing and when i look at youtube uh, uh news broadcasts uh, i'm always amazed at every single one of the headlines that comes underneath the, the the captions that comes underneath the picture that wants to grab your attention uh they're always spectacular they're always dangerous they're always yeah. that's the whole idea their idea of doing news nowadays you've got to capture your audience and the way to do that is through through panic make people afraid be very afraid. Fear. Then you'll tune in. Then I'll get the numbers. Then my station will be better than your station. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Can we combat that with the people that are on the other side, so to speak? Uh, who can say? Light and dark. Yep. It's always the way it is. It's always yeah. the way it is. I, I think one of the positive things, though, is the community that, that like you and I are a part of has grown exponentially, definitely, over oh, yeah. the last 20 oh, years, yeah. you know. Yeah. When I was young, you know, the idea of, you know, out-of-body experiences and, and shamanism and, and all these out-of-the-box spiritual or just seeking your own spiritual path was yeah. something that was almost forbidden yeah. and now is it's acceptable. Like, 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 oh, like, yeah. like that, that box has been opened. Yeah, yeah, and encouraged. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, a, a grandson who uh, studies uh, Taekwondo and uh, he was asked to uh, write a, a, uh, an essay for Taekwondo about uh, some of the things that the class is trying to teach like honor and, uh, and goodness and gentleness and everything else. Well, he had a hard time writing it because they don't teach cursive anymore. <laughs> he couldn't <laughs> sit down with a pen and paper and write. They don't do that anymore. 
but at least you know you see something like that. I think that would have been unheard of when we were kids to sit there and write an essay about honor. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great thing. It, it, it's a wonderful thing. But is it enough? I just I just don't know. It's going to be tough. It'll be enough for a few. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's all it'll take to start over again. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. And and that is a great thing. Even if there was an earthwide cataclysm, it probably wouldn't kill everybody. Right. There would be a few pockets of people here and there, just like after the big Younger Dryas comet at the end of the Younger Dryas Ice Age. Mm Mm-hmm. Or at the beginning, you know, it wiped out a lot of people, but it all probably some great civilizations, maybe even Atlantis among them. But it left pockets of individual hunter gatherers who uh, had a lot to learn. Uh, a small group up in in um, Anatolia, for instance, and what happened? They built Gobekli Tepe, the first great temple. Uh, I find it interesting. After a great cataclysm, after a great ice age, the first thing people want to do is build a temple which speaks of spirituality. Um, that says something, I think, that's important. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to keep hoping. And for all of us who are listeners, who are listening to this podcast, we are, we're in it together, folks. <laughs> and we appreciate you. <laughs> and uh, let's, not, let's not lose hope. Don't let me be too discouraging here. Nah, it'll work itself out. It's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> well, this... You know, it's it's what Merlin represented. Uh, Merlin represented the kind of community that you and I are talking about, the old values. And Merlin didn't die. He's still alive in his crystal cave somewhere. He'll be back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we won't die either. They may put us in a crystal cave, but we'll come up. It's the old theme of resurrection. Uh, and it'll, it'll, hopefully it'll start again. Yeah. Uh, the trouble is our lifetimes are so short that uh, it's very easy for us to get discouraged because we know that we're probably not going to see the real revolution happen in our own life. But we can hang on that it will happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we wrap this up, thank you for coming on and talking with me today. It is always a pleasure. Thank you, Gary. It's always great to be with you. I love our talks. I really do. Me too. And um, where can my listeners find you and find your books? Well, the easiest way is to go to the website, www.jimwillis.net. And there, even on the home page of the website, is new releases. Uh, it has the first two books of the uh, Ego Trilogy. It also has the, the uh, books about uh, the, the book about the, the Wizard in the Wood. And also, I think on every page, look down at the bottom, and it shows my Facebook page. And even more important, it shows the YouTube page. That's what I'm looking forward to because there's all kinds of YouTube videos that we've done in the last couple of years now, and even more in the last couple of months. Um, and it's just uh, on YouTube, uh, the Jim Willis YouTube page. And uh, uh, you can find everything they want to know. And there's also a contact page on my website. If you write through the website, send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, I'll put a link to your website. And in those of this episode, I'll also put some links to your um, new books that are out also so my great, great. listeners can check Appreciate them out. Great, great. Thank you, Gary. Wonderful <laughs> to talk to you again. You too. It's always a lot of fun. I always learn a lot. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Now hang on one second, and I'm just going to play the outro.
t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. 